the Flipside Podcast. On this week's episode of the Flipside Podcast. I think with this presidency, though, there's been so much hatred, so much, you know, xenophobia, so much sexism, so much racism blatantly that that people are just willing to say, oh, you took it wrong or, oh, you're just being too PC or, you know, it's, no, like, and then when you see people that you care about that, you know, are or at least you thought were your friends or that or good people that can stand with that, it's like it literally makes me feel like if I'm in this fight and like people are jumping me, you're just on the sidelines like that's a shame. Episode 9, we're pushing forward with the same topic, but flipping to the other side as we hear from people that have decided to make changes after seeing friends and family members show support for Donald Trump. The conflict and essential question of this episode deals with racism and how our political system navigates around it. Now, if you were trying to make America great or riding with Biden, change seems to be inevitable. According to NPR Politics, voters in America are becoming younger and more black and brown. The dominance that the baby boomer generation has had on the election and American politics is on the decline. As we step away from part one of the election aftermath and examine part two, the theme of change is very prevalent. Here is our conversation for episode nine, the election aftermath. Relationships have changed because we disagree politically, part two. Here on the Flipside Podcast, we have a very dynamic panel of people that have joined us today to be able to share their own personal experiences. As we look today, we have the confirmation to some degree that President-elect Joe Biden has now been, in somewhat ways, officially named the president of the United States. Now, in the dynamic of this episode, we really want to hear from these three individuals, given their perspectives. We've had an opportunity now to be able to live through the Trump administration, and his, his role as being the president has been very controversial, to put it nicely. So I've asked these three people to give their perspective of what that means for the relationships with individuals who've outrightly said that they support Donald Trump, either for his policies, either for his views, or either for some of the things that he has communicated in a very demonstrative way. So I'd ask each of our panelists uh, to introduce themselves, if you could let our listeners know who you are, uh, where you're from, where you live, and pretty much why you're joining us today on the podcast. Tiana, we'll start with you. I am Tiana Threadgill. I am originally from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Um, I moved to Downingtown, PA when my husband and I first got married. I identify as being a little more liberal. I would say I'm probably closer to an independent than, than being liberal. I, this is actually, this election was the first time I voted straight party. 
that I only voted for Democrats. Um, I have never done that before. Um, and I'm 43 years old and I've been voting since I was 18. <clears throat> so that's the first time that that happened for me. And what else do you need to know? Is that it? Why, why, why did you feel compelled other than me, you know, kind of pulling you across the finish line <laughs> to, to join the podcast today? Well, I think I want to give people um, a, pers- a different perspective. I'm not necessarily what people would consider a traditional liberal, even though I am Black. I am a political science major. So, you know, politics has kind of been, you know, a, a hobby of mine since, you know, I was a teenager. Um, so I've definitely, I can really identify with um, different sides of people, but what I can identify with is their support of Donald Trump. And I think that a lot of times we need to define those things. In my opinion, I don't see how you can rectify those two things. You yeah. can't identify as a conservative and be a Republican and also support Donald Trump. That's, I can't rectify that in my brain. So that's kind of why I agreed to be here today. Perfect. So Allison. Yeah, so my name is Allison Boone Green, and I'm here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, I'm a doctoral student. I also teach at Eastern Michigan University. I'm a Democrat, a pretty proud Democrat, though I was raised in a Republican family. So a little after college, I completely switched my party affiliation. That one thing I'm hoping to get from the conversation today is I am certainly hoping to learn. As Ed talked to me about this possibility, I don't think I was like, absolutely, I have so many well-formed opinions about this. Let me just share all the experiences that I've had. It was more of a, this is a topic that I think is important. This is a conversation that I think is very valuable to have. And I'm eager to share whatever form my opinions may be at this point but I'm also really interested in in learning and kind of hearing this conversation just as much as I am um, to take part in it. Great, wonderful, thank you. Ryan. Uh, My name is Ryan Howard. I am originally from Irvington, New Jersey, which is right on the border of Newark. Uh, So I grew up like 15 minutes from Newark Airport, like 30 minutes from New York City, moved to Pennsylvania for college, uh, graduated from Villanova University, and I stayed in the area after graduation. So I live in Phoenixville, uh, Pennsylvania now, which is in Chester County. I'm an educator. I teach high school social studies, and I'm also a high school football coach at a high school here in Chester County. When you asked me and you approached me about the topic, I couldn't wait. Like, I, I, I couldn't wait because we share a friend um, in common who's very, very dear to both of us that has very different political views and, and aligned himself with this person. And, and he's not the only one, like there's several people that, um, you know, over the course of the last four years, I kind of figured out, you know, aligned themselves that way, relationships that go back, you know, as far as college, you know, so you're talking about 20 year relationships, people that you spend a lot of good times with and, you know, you, you felt like this is my person or, you know, we're, we're good friends or we are friends or we're acquaintances or whatever level. But then over the last four years, you know, especially with social media, you see some of the, the things that they post or, you know, quite frankly, like the hateful, like speech that's been endorsed. And that I feel like people have just felt empowered to be able to, to, to come out and speak. And, you know, I've definitely muted some folks i have unfriended some folks i have blocked some folks uh we're going to start allison i'm going to start with you uh because you have mentioned something that i was very interested in in the sense of you mentioned you grew up um in a household that was uh, republican Mm -hmm. and you switched to democrat Mm -hmm. 
Can mm-hmm. you give me and everyone else an understanding of why you decided to make that change? The simple answer would be because Barack Obama ran for president. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that was the first time that I cast my vote for Democrat in the presidential. It was my second time voting in the presidential election. I think that it was some somewhat of a gradual process, I think, as a lot of people do, as you experience college and get new perspectives and meet new people. That was a time for me to really begin to separate my own belief from that with which I was raised. And I'm thankful that uh, I've been able to keep a good relationship with with my family throughout uh, the the whole process. They're, they, you know, they know where I stand and I understand where they stand. But uh, I I would say that one sort of saving grace for me has been my parents in, in this election, well, the, the one before and then uh, Trump's re-election, they, though they have voted Republican, I think virtually their whole lives, they didn't get the allure of Trump. His platform didn't appeal to them. And I think they felt um, sort of baffled by their, their fellow Republicans um, just... I okay, you said not to pull punches, but I just strong no, no, identification no. with Trump. Be, I would be say. free. Um, but uh, so I, I think that has has raised a lot of questions for them. It's been interesting to kind of see their thought process through this whole you know past four or five years. But I'm I'm pretty sure that this was a first for them. But both of them voted for Biden this election. So that was their first time voting for a a Democrat. Tiana, tell me, you are a black woman and you are not what most people would assume to be a Democrat. You mentioned you studied political science. You have, you're well-versed in the understandings and the inner workings of our government. Tell us why it is that you have decided to be independent, leaning towards liberal, I believe you put it. Yeah, um, I would say, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background. So my family, um, I grew up very, very religious. My parents were Southern Baptist and Pentecostal. I would say that my parents were initially one-issue voters. Um, they very much, if a candidate supported abortion, they're, not, they're either just not going to vote or they're not going to vote for that particular candidate. So that was, that was a lot to rectify with. I just feel honestly that traditional Republicans and traditional Democrats that I don't fit into either bucket. I think that both both parties have good ideas and good policies, but I could I personally could never align myself with being a Republican just for the simple fact that I feel like they intentionally exclude black people. And I think that they have really Kind of built a platform of that is not welcoming to people of color so i could never identify with being a republican at all socially i would say that i'm that i'm very liberal when it comes to you know women's right to choose when it comes to health care um, my biggest thing my, my background is in healthcare. my biggest thing about healthcare is i think it's the stupidest thing that we have health care tied to employment mm-hmm. um, do i think a single payer is the end-all be-all no, but I absolutely don't think that the way that we have our healthcare structured right now is beneficial either. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. 
Ryan, you're in a swirl of it, my friend. What experiences have you had that have led you to this opportunity now to be able to speak on what it's been like for you these last four years being a Black man during this Trump administration? Sure. I think I identify with what both Tiana and Allison, you know, have said, specifically Tiana as well. My parents are from the South originally. They grew up in Sumter, South Carolina. They moved to New Jersey in the 60s to kind of escape Jim Crow and segregation and everything that was going on um, in the early 1960s. Like we're talking pre-Civil Rights Act, like they moved to New Jersey in like 1961. So my perspective has always been that of you know, the the history of this country and the history of racism specifically in this country, which so many people on, you know, that side of the aisle want you to say that's forever ago. It's so long ago, you know, you're always living in the past. I'm like, we're, we're talking about my parents. Like my parents yeah. went to segregated schools and drank from colored water fountains. Like this is not ancient history. To, to speak specifically to how I kind of arrived at my political views, both of my parents were you know, Democrats, and they they always kind of explain to us, you know, we're Democrats. And if I'm being honest, you said speak freely. Like, they always say, like, Republicans don't care about Black people. Like, they just mm -hmm. don't. So, you know, you don't, you don't cast your vote from there. And I think as I became older and, you know, studied politics and studied history and everything else, I, I'm, I'm definitely versed enough to say that I don't look at the Democratic Party as being like the saviors of Black folks. I think that because of the two-party system that we have, they're not, while not perfect, they absolutely are the only choice that makes sense if you're going to vote. The The idea that, you know, there were so many people that said, oh, well, Joe Biden's racist and Joe Biden did this and what about the crime bill? And I'm like, trust me, I am not calling Joe Biden the savior by any stretch of the imagination. But if I have to look at two men as the only two viable choices, you know, for this presidency, it's not even a question as to which one is one more qualified, which one is a better human being. I don't look at the Democratic Party and, and think that they've gotten everything right. I do think that in many ways, the Democratic Party has taken a, taken for granted, I would say, the Black vote. You know, Black folks just typically, like, they just know we're not going to. But then at the same token, the other side has for a long time just been like, they ain't going to vote for us. So why, why should we care? Why should we care about pushing policies that would help them? They're not going to vote for us, so we'll continue to do what we do. Stay tuned to hear more from the Flipside Podcast, Episode 9, The Election Aftermath. Relationships have changed because we disagree politically, Part 2. I asked the counterpart or the other side of this dynamic of a very you know, direct question, which I'll ask to the three of you. Do you believe, and you don't have to say both, you can say one, you can say neither. Do you believe that Donald Trump is sexist and racist was the question that was asked? Um, I'll go. Um, yes and yes. <laughs> uh, just kind of putting it out there and kind of where I feel like there has been documented over and over and over again about his racism, but I'm going to speak about, you know, even the birther movement. I mean, just questioning the legitimacy of our president, Barack Obama, like just that in and of itself, um, just because he's a person of color, you're going to question his legitimacy. You didn't question John McCain's legitimacy. You didn't question, you know, anybody else, any other white man you're good with, but the black man comes in, eh, 
no, I don't think so. And then kind of when he told, you know, the squad as well as they're referred to, um, AOC and Ilhan Omar to go back to their countries, go back to what country, you know? So those are definitely two things that stand out to me as, as to why he's both, and with the squad, I mean, that you're going to, to the sexism thing too, because you wouldn't necessarily treat a man like you treat them. I would also say yes to both. And I think this goes to some of our comments that we've made already. It's that the fact that that question even can be asked and debated is like an otherworldly experience to me because the only things that I've seen are like facts and evidence to support the claim that he is both racist and sexist. Uh, recently in the re-election campaign, he came here to Michigan and, and told a crowd of supporters, we're going to get your husbands back to work but women are being hit some of the hardest. And so to say, you know, your husband's is just an antiquated mindset at best. And to me, further indication of his sexist beliefs. And then, yeah, I will just, I don't believe, I don't understand how anyone in good faith can refute that claim from both the flippant comments that he's made to the political issues that he's chosen to, to raise. It's just, um, it seems widely documented in both his life prior to coming to the presidency and the way he's conducted himself now? Yes and yes. The documentation is there if you want to look at it. From his real estate dealings and being sued for not renting the Black people to his grabbing by the you-know-what to the, the S-hole countries, you know, that he lists. Birther issue again. What? Last I checked, his mom was an American citizen, which therefore would make him an American citizen, and therefore he's a natural-born American citizen. So I don't care if he was born on Mars... He's an American citizen, and he should be able to be run the president. Like, that's it. Xenophobic. You know, he's a Muslim. So what if he is? It's not illegal to be a Muslim. There were times when people thought that a Catholic should never be president. His name was John F. Kennedy. And people, oh, he can't make him president. He's going to make the Pope have the, may have the Pope making all the decisions for America. You can't elect a, a Catholic president. Like, we can sit and look and laugh at it now. But, like, that was the, the thinking of the time period, right, with JFK. But then if you go back and you think about him taking out full page ads about the Central Park Five and saying that, you know, they should get the death penalty and everything else, the, the silent undertones have been there. The way that he's done his business has been there. And I think that that speaks to the larger population of racists in America. Most people that were racist or that are racist in the times now, they don't typically feel empowered to come out and like necessarily call you an N-word or call you, you know, some other racial slur. But when they're sitting around the dinner table, they, they'll speak freely. And I think that the way that he's empowered or encouraged people, calling people in Charlottesville, you know, the good people on both sides or what have you, it's let them say, well, yeah, I'll come out and I'll say it. Like, yeah, these people need to go where they came from. Or yeah, these people, you know, insert whatever racist ideology. And I think that he's, he played that and he, and he wrote it all the way to the White House. And so now what he's done is he's created this this, I, I can't think of another time. There, there's always been Democrats and Republicans, right? Like we, those have always been the two major parties in our lifetime. And there's always been, you know, it's swung back and forth from one party to the next. And obviously people have different political beliefs, but I can't think of a time where the country has been this divided, where people literally are coming to blows yeah. because of who you support for the presidency. And there's one person to blame for that. And that's Donald J. Trump. One of the things that was interesting about the Trump presidency was his tweets and his involvement on social media. It was, for lack of a better term, ring, it rang, when he tweeted something, it rang bells. So one of our own 
was able to share something on social media that I that struck me. I don't share a lot of things that people put on Facebook, but our very own Tiana Hawkins Threadgill had posted this. I'm going to put it up here on my screen. I'm going to share my screen with y'all. And I want to see if we can get some uh, feedback from Brian and Allison. And then Tiana, obviously you'll be able to speak on your own words there. So you guys can see this here. Can you guys see that? Okay, so for our listeners, it says, I feel like it's a good time to announce to the undercover racist that I see you. I see what you're saying and the post that you're liking. But unlike many people, I'm not going to call you out here, here as in being from Facebook. I'll wait till I see you in person. Ryan and Allison, your thoughts on Tiana's post. And then Tiana will obviously have your thoughts as well. Well, I would say I definitely think it's a post that would catch people's attention. Obviously grounded in what social media allows people to do. But I I loved your ending about um, I'll save it until I see you in person because I hope that that did lead to some conversations and I'll be interested in that update. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'll go one word, gangster. Uh, I thought that it was very, it was succinct and it was short and it was to the point, but I think that the point was was loud and clear. Um, there's a term that's come out in this social media age and it's called keyboard gangster, right? So you got a lot of people that's, that's real keyboard gangsterish on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and they'll spew these things off and they'll type it and they'll send it out into the atmosphere because they don't have to deal with you directly or they can mute you or they can block you or, or what have you. They can just not even read your post and keep going about their day. If you come to somebody's face and you bring them, you confront them with an issue to have a conversation, it's a lot harder to kind of walk away from that conversation or to at least not have to defend your, your point of view or your defense of that post or whatever it is that you put out into the, to the internet. So I thought it was a really good comment and, I mean, I've definitely had some conversations with people that, like I said, have either led to us not being acquaintances anymore or me just being like, all right, I know where you stand and and I really don't need to have you as a person that I think needs to be in my circle. So kudos to you, Tiana. That was gangster. I will say that I tell people all the time, I like people, but I don't need people. So I am one person that will cut you off in a heartbeat and not think twice about it. I will say that my husband is the complete opposite. Not saying that he needs people, but he is very, he has a really big heart. He is such a great person. So he's softened me up a little bit, I will say. And initially there was a particular post that kind of, which is why I posted that. And he's the first one that saw the post. And he saw the people that were liking it. And then he had talked to me about it. And then I looked at the post and he's not confrontational. I am confrontational and I don't really have a problem with it. So I will say that it did definitely spark conversations. It was very much like, oh my God, oh my God, were you talking about me? Were you talking about me? Yeah, I was. I was talking about you. The particular post was, it had to do with Kamala and it had to do with somebody referencing her um, just being a disgusting person. And it was very, my daughter's love her. I will say my, you sh- I, I wish I could put the picture up. My 12 year old had two iPads and her phone up watching all the returns coming in till like three o'clock in the morning. 
she is very kind of near and dear to my children. So for you to say something like that, I thought was horrible. Um, and that's kind of what, what prompted the post. There is a particular person um, that we have a lot of dealings with um, that reached out to me and, and I was just pretty much like, I, I don't, I thought your, your comment and your like was BS. So it is what it is. You know, you can, I can't compartmentalize. I, I can't, Brian is very good at doing that. My husband is very good at doing that. It's kind of like he's, he can kind of put you in a bucket and he's like, okay, I know that you, you're, you're a good person with this, but uh, you're not so good with this, but you're okay with this. I can't do that. It's the whole person. And so I just, I chose to just not have any dealings with that person anymore. That's kind of where it ended. So let's open this up to everyone. Obviously, Tiana, thank you for sharing because this is a very impactful part of our discussion. When individuals have chosen to support Donald Trump and you've either had relationships with them, you work with them, you are having them, or they're, you're a part of each other's lives, you're in part of each other's community, and they have aligned with certain things that, let's be honest, have been immoral acts, disrespectful comments, things that we have come to recognize as dividing this country. What changes have you made? What interactions have you had, positive or negative? And how have you looked at that as you progress forward? So for me, right, as I scroll through my timeline, I look at people and, and I see things that post or I know who, who's, I can say very clearly that most of the people who are in my close inner circle are not Trump supporters. But there are a couple who are that I would consider very good friends. Not even that I would consider very good friends, like they have shown me throughout time that they are very good friends. They are, that they've had my back in situations that they have, that if I need them, that they can call, I can call on them and vice versa. Like true blue friends, you know what I mean? Like there's friends and then there's acquaintances. Acquaintances I don't really worry about. Like there's like 4,000 people on my Facebook, like that I'm a point, you know what I mean? Like we might've gone to college together and drank beer and stuff 20 years ago, but like haven't talked to you in, in depth in 20 some years. So it is what it is. Like you're not going to have every single person agree with every single thing that you believe politically. And, and that's fine. And unless they are loud and they are being confrontational or they are throwing jabs at like posts that I make or, or they're putting things up that I, that I think are disrespectful or really just ignorant. That is what it is. The country is literally divided almost 50-50. It's the people who are close to me that look at his social policies or look at the way that, that he talks to, about people of color or the way that he's treated people at the border or all of these other things. And they say, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Like, it's America. We need to make it, you know, great, whatever. Like, that's that's where I really have issues and that's where I struggle because I'm like, I know that you've demonstrated to me over however many years that you're a good person, but at the same time, like you only, you see me this way, but you don't see everyone that's like me this way. As I prepare to read the quote that was read in our last episode that rang bells and got a provocative reaction from our Trump supporters, I'm excited to hear what the quote will mean and the reaction that we'll get from our panel on this current episode. There is no Trump 2016 voter who today does not know Trump is a racist. They are either A, also a racist, B, totally fine with racism, or C, sad about racism 
in the abstract, but support racist policies in reality because they benefit from and or are not negatively affected by them. What are your thoughts on this particular post? I would 100% agree with it. <laughs> People that continue to support him, you know, at, at best, you know, you're comfortable with racism and at worst, you're a racist yourself. I, I really don't know how people rectify that any other way. So I 100% agree with this sentiment. To T's point, I don't know how you can kind of rectify certain things that in my eyes are black and white. Now, am I a black man and see things a certain way? Absolutely. Do I have bias to be able to protect certain people, namely my own? Of course I do. But at the end of the day, I really would hope that most people could look at a situation and see it for what it is based on facts and based on actual things that have been written in black and white, actual policies that have been confirmed and put into practice. Sadly, it doesn't seem like the case. Brian, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I agree with the post that you, you shared. And it reminds me of another one that I saw that I, I shared uh, this summer. And it was to the effect, um, paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but it was to the effect that not all Trump supporters are racist but all Trump supporters have stated that racism isn't a deal breaker. That squarely hits it on the head. And I, I don't, I'm not going to be naive enough to say that, you know, every person in, in the country that supports him is a racist, but they're definitely not anti-racist. And there's a very big difference. And so this is a term that, you know, just kind of came into my vocabulary within the last couple of years, the notion of being anti-racist. Anti-racist is, is the opposite of that. It's hearing it and saying, I'm not going to stand for this. This is wrong. And I'm going to call you out and check you on it. I don't care if everybody's Thanksgiving dinner gets ruined. I think that the people that support him, they can do so comfortably because his racism doesn't impact them on a daily basis. My final thoughts for this two-part series run very deep, and while I won't get into the details of it today, I will say that the facts and topics were, and still are very personal to me. The episode was centered around the idea that racism, politics, and social relationships have disproportionate impacts on communities. The best example that I could come up with socially was comparing racism to smoking. Public opinion would tell you that it's an unhealthy and disgusting habit. We all know people who still do it. They could be hiding from people because they're tired of hearing about how bad it is, or they could be holding on to a not so distant time when smoking was more socially acceptable. And being racist, like smoking, is a bad thing to do and promote. But if it makes you more money and you can profit from its use, you simply need to decide to ignore its harsh realities. One typically results in cancer, while the other is a cancer that still plagues our society today. Despite all these points, a person is more likely to get thrown out of a public place for smoking more than displaying a racial hatred or senseless remark. Racism along with prejudice, collaborate together to divide people. Like two kickball teams being selected at recess, you're on one side or the other. The 2020 presidential election had no neutrality. 
no gray area to hide. For some people, the decision was easy. Choose the team that was more red or blue because of survival, loyalty, or tradition. And this was the part where the situation became about morality. People who selected their side because of survival or protection of their rights looked to friends and family members and co-workers to join the fight. And when they didn't, lines were drawn. Not necessarily battle lines, but lines that brought about questions and changed relationships. Thanks for listening to the Flipside Podcast. Every Thursday, we will share a new episode primed with direct conversations and interviews about topics that challenge original thoughts. You can subscribe and download the Flipside Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Most importantly, we want to hear from you. So search for the Flipside Pod on Instagram to submit questions and suggest new topics. Until next time, I'm Ed Hill. And remember, conversations create change.